0: Welcome to Sighs and Whispers, an interview podcast series about cultural history. I'm Laura McClaws-Hounds, a fashion and cultural historian. I try to be consistent getting these episodes out to you, but they are very much a labor of love that I do in addition to my regular work. Since I do all the editing, writing, and research for the episodes, it can take me a little while. That's just to say that it's been two months since my last episode, and two months since I recorded the first part of this interview. My guest today is Meryl Meisler, a wonderful photographer, known mostly for her documentary and street work. In June, I went with her to a show at Clamp Art and then interviewed her in her home at Penn South, an affordable cooperative housing community in Chelsea. That initial conversation was cut short, so two weeks ago we spoke again. Halfway through the episode, you might notice a slight change in audio quality. I first came across Meryl's work in 2015, around the publication of her second book, Paradise and Purgatory, Sassy 70s suburbia in the city. The images that captured my attention at the time were ones that she had taken of her family on Long Island in the 1970s, revealing, intimate, and fun. They're photos that really, truly capture a time, a place, and the personalities of the people in them. Now photos really feel immediate. They make the viewer feel as if they're there, in the moment with her. Since then, more of her long-buried 1970s and 1980s photographs have come to light. Her adventures at nightclubs like Studio 54, her time as a teacher in a burned-out, pre-gentrification bushwick. Much of the reason I started this podcast was to learn from cultural creators about what choices they've made and where it's led them, the ups, downs, and zigzags of life. It really is a way of showing that life really follows the path that you expect, and that it can bring you somewhere far more interesting. Meryl's acclaim as a photographer has come to her later in life. As she discusses in this conversation, she studied photography in the 1970s and received grants for her work. But she found the instability of the freelance life ill-suited to her personality and mental health, leading her to become a photography and art teacher in the New York City public school system. Through her decades as a teacher, she continued to photograph constantly, documenting all aspects of her life, and also produced multimedia photographic artworks that were exhibited. But it wasn't until her retirement that she began to delve into her old, boxed-up contact sheets and negatives, revealing a New York that was long gone, captured in a totally individual and unique manner. When you see her photos, you'll immediately understand why they've gained so much attention over the last few years. Just this summer, she had three exhibitions of her work and released her third book, New York Paradise Lost Bushwick Era Disco. Her images are really love letters to New York, its messiness, its wildness, its paradoxes, the beauty and the openness that attracts all types of people. She captures these people with love and acceptance, no matter who they are. In the slideshow I've compiled on the Size and Whispers website, She visits Long Island, Bushwick, Manhattan, Fire Island, after-hours clubs, beauty salons, schools, and bombed out buildings, always with an eye for the absurd and with so much love. If you're in New York and listening to this in the autumn of 2021, Meryl's Bushwick photographs will be installed on walls outside of the school she taught, IS291, as part of the Photoville Festival from September 18 until December 1st. We talk extensively about her photographic influences and processes her childhood in Long Island and life in New York City and balancing a full-time job with her creative pursuits. I hope you find her as intriguing and inspiring as I did. This conversation definitely made me want to pick up my old cameras and start shooting again. Enjoy. Thank you so much oh. for this. Thank you. You know, as I was saying to you before, I have been a fan of your work for I don't know, like 6 or 7 years now and oh. I Love you know, have loved, as you've come out with each new book, and I've seen more of it, I've been more and more impressed, and so I'm really excited to talk with you about all of it. Oh,
1: thank you. Um, ask away. I, lo- I love, it's, it's an honor to be, to, to be interviewed.
0: You're welcome. Um, so I usually like to start and, you know, ask about your childhood and your upbringing and cultural background. I know you're from Long Island, right? And...
1: Okay, so you want to know about, about my childhood? Mm-hmm. I was born 1951 in the Bronx, New York. I am the second child out of three of Sonny and Jack Meisler, who were Bronx residents. And my dad was a printer. He was, a, he was in the Coast Guard. Uh, during World War II, he was in the Coast Guard. And when I was two and a half years old, on the GI Bill, they bought a house in North Massapequa, Long Island, New York, which was like the first their family to move to the burbs, Um, and my grandparents would visit, and then I think they said they were sitting shiver; it was so far away, and we had a very close relationship with my maternal grandparents and aunt and uncle. So every week, religiously, we would either go to Bronx or they come to Long Island. Uh, And I guess the basics is dad commuted to work really like two blocks from where I am now he had his own oh no no he earlier he was down on pearl street but later on on 25th street what
0: kind of printer like a like a photographic printer or not not a a
1: photographic printer a a, a commercial printer you know whatever kind of jobs came in and it was some company xl but I think if the fact that my dad was a printer was very influential but he was also a great photographer his subject was his family no and but he was he did it really well with really and took it seriously or did with passion and and his other passion was mechanics fixing cars and my father's father so my dad is jack miser and my father's father murray miser every time i saw my grandpa he had a camera on it and a serious camera and a light meter and it was in your face and it and I barely, maybe once, ever saw a photograph of his while he was alive. I think they sent sent one. I think yeah. I got from that. And since his passing, many decades, like there's very few photographs, and no one really knows where the negatives or anything are, but he was always photographing. And he had, like, graphics, cameras, serious stuff. And I said he built his own camera. So it's really I got almost the inheritance, the idea that, just the act of photography was important unto herself. Even my father's older brother, Uncle Al, always photographing. When he retired to Florida, I said, where's all your photographs? I said, oh, we threw them away. It's like, what? But it, it was just, the action was important. So with my dad, I have his negatives and, and his work. At age seven, I, my parents gave me a little adventure camera, a little roll, little 620 roll camera, I still have it. And I photographed my little brother, but then I had, so I have an older brother and a younger brother, older brother Ken, younger brother Mitch, and I'm the, the one and only girl in the middle, and with that early camera, I took pictures of my, my little brother, my parents, my friends on the block, school trips, Girl Scout trips, the same subjects, those for life. I think also important about my dad being a printer, he admired art and artists. And he would literally bring home jobs he did and show, show them to me. Art was more expansive than something like in a museum. He, if he had an interesting printing plate and they were in copper or mm-hmm. zinc, he would shine them up, put a hook on it, and hang it on the wall. And that was also art. So I think that was a very expansive idea of what art is and beauty and you know, appreciating typography and composition and illustration and an and admiration for the arts mm-hmm. I went to high school, I graduated and went to SUNY College in Buffalo and the, fir- the first day that, and I am of the era that most people women become teachers or nurses and just beginning people starting to become lawyers but I didn't really know what I wanted to do, and I, in the first day, took an assessment test at school, and it, and when it when it came back with the results was to go into the arts or education. And my first freshman year, I took you know, elementary ed one oh one, psychology, and an introduction to art class. And the psychology teacher I guess I had a really good experiment idea. They said, Would you ever think about becoming a psychology major? I thought that's nice. When well, the art professor said, Did you ever think about going into arts? My heart actually started beating in my chest. You know, like boom boom boom. And I called my parents and then you had to wait till eleven o'clock when it was a cheaper rate or on Sunday and talk about switching to art and they said as long as you get a teaching degree, so you can make a living. Mm-hmm. And so I, I went into art education and loved it. I took everything but photography, and yet you yet was a famous photography teacher in the school. I didn't know that. Um, Cindy Sherman actually graduated from the same school, like a year or two later. Mm-hmm. But I started to go to graduate school, because you had to get a te- in teaching. You have to get your master's within five years anyway. And I I was toying, trying to become an illustrator. I was scared to teach. And um, I went to my senior year of college. I took a trip, took myself to Museum of Modern Art. And I saw different shows, but I saw the Dion Arbus show. Mm. And I was moved. You know, they, 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 I was moved by them. Struck. It was the first photography exhibit I ever saw, and when I decided going back and forth, when not to go to graduate school right away, I got into Columbia University, to Teachers College, and I was scared to move to the city. It had such, you know, that reputation—a scary place where you get raped and killed—and I, I was scared of that. And I was accepted to to University of Wisconsin in Madison, and. I, and I got a scholarship, and I thought, well, I heard they had a good photography department, even though it was like one-person department. I said, well, okay, not sure what to do, but and I got in under art education. I said, well, I'll take a photography class, learn how to use a real camera. And in that class, my, my I ended up switching into straight out of art ed into art because my major from someone just an art, a professor. Don Anderson said he would sponsor me to, to, to switch over now he's been drawing and illustration but I continued photography and on my first vacation home I'd seen Cap, my professor at University of Wisconsin was a man named Cavalier Ketchum and he showed a work of a lot of the documentary photographers of the FSA WPA also a, a work that stood out was, was Jacques-Henri Lortigue he was a Parisian, became known as a photographer, but he's really a painter. And his photography got discovered later when he started showing his early childhood photographs and his family, his wealthy family in Paris, just really having a hoot together (laughs) with their costumes. And I I loved the work. And so on my vacation home, I immediately went up into the attic, started getting my ballet outfits and tap dance outfits. Photograph, doing self portraits. Not that I'd ever heard of a self portrait, but it was, I didn't hear of people like Sidney Sherman yet. Mm-hmm. I started doing it and I wanted to photograph the people I knew my entire life friends, family, people on the block. And I came came back to school, made a con- developed a film, made a contact sheet, and the professor looked at me and he goes, What is this? I said, What do you mean? What are these places? These are wilds, you know, like the butterfly bathroom bedroom. And uh, actually, they're doing first. It was thirty-five millimeter. I, I, I've never seen anything like it. I said, "This, what is you know, what is this place?" I said, "This is where I come from. Everyone's <laughs> homes look like this. This is not like this is normal. <laughs> this is normal." And so, the next vacation, I got a, a medium format camera because I wanted more detail, and I even got a flash. And continue photographing where I come from, and I didn't know it was different from anybody else's life. But but cavalier said, you know, explained to me that photography is like anthropology and sociology. You're actually making a record of a certain time and a place, and people's bring their cultural backgrounds, and their artifacts reflect their history, past and present. So that was fascinating, and. While I was two years in Wisconsin, I continued doing my Long Island series. I, it would be a joke between me and my friends. We'd call on photographing Jewish American princesses, but it wasn't just Jewish families. It was a, Italian families. It was whoever we knew. Mm-hmm. And when I got my master's from University of Wisconsin, you could go on to get an MFA, a second part, or leave it as... That is the terminal degree, M.A. And I came back to New York City, or not New York, Long Island, 1975. My older brother was getting married. My parents ended up separating right after marriage. <laughs> Things had changed with with um, my scholarship in Wisconsin. They were they're taking out the scholarships for out-of-state people. And it's like, it was like, my subject is here. Why, why move back? I already got what I needed, but it was a master's degree, and I wanted to study with Lisette Modell at, at the new school, because I admired the work of Arbus so much, and I wanted to study with Lisette Modell, and I had a, I brought my portfolio of my Long Island work for an interview with her, and she raved about my work on the spot, picked up some picture and said, you should you know, be showing this to John Skarsowski at the Museum of Modern Art. And I was really actually too shy. I was always waiting to have more mm-hmm. or to be introduced. But I was in... I, and I also... So I was accepted to the class and also I have a a fourth cousin, a distant cousin, who I just met like two years earlier and, and her family had a building on... Still has the same building, a brownstone on 92nd between Columbus and Central Park. And one of her roommates was going away so I could sublet the space. So I sublet the room, started taking the class at Lisette Modell, and my cousin let me set up a dark room in, in, in our laundry room. And I was doing freelance illustration work. Uh, sorry, getting freelance jobs. And I fell in love with the city immediately. As soon as I was there, and it wasn't a scary foreign place, and I got to meet people and make friends, and carry my camera and do street photography, and I felt at home immediately. It was. It wasn't. It wasn't the worst nightmare. It was my dream come true. <laughs> and I've stayed ever since.
0: Had had you always drawn, even as like a little girl?
1: Uh, oh, that's a good good question. When I was like six years old, I remember I was my parents asleep, and I went into their bureau, and on the top of it, I started making little drawings. I thought they'd be thrilled. They were not thrilled. In my class pictures, of it, like 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 fifth grade class picture, and they open up this eight by ten and a an un- mounted picture of everyone their desks, and other sides and class this class that. Class artist, I wrote my name. It's like I felt I was. No one else knew it, and and yet my parents encouraged me because when I did take some art classes in in middle, oh I remember, in like third grade or second or third grade, I did a painting and we had a little a a teacher Mrs. Gregory went went around on a cart and and I did a. Watercolor purple mountain majesties you know in my head there was a purple mountain majesties, and she selected it to put it in a show in the gymnasium and my parents came and there was hanging up and even in like seventh grade, I did a painting with temper of a boy with a bat. My parents saved that, so they were you know and they framed some of the work, so the same the same admiration of art
0: mm-hmm.
1: on a very approachable level was appreciated by them, but I did my my art teach. I was not chosen as a standout artist in school, but I loved it. And again, when the hard when the hard beat went, that was it. I knew that was my my love.
0: Mm-hmm. I've talked with other people who are trying to make it as freelance illustrators In this. Sixties and seventies, and it doesn't seem like it was. I mean, probably maybe a little easier than now. I don't know, but hard.
1: Uh, Yes, it was very. It was. I wanted to do. I did. Like I said, I was actually scared of teaching. Mm -hmm. Even I graduated first in my class. I was scared of teaching. I had student teaching situations in a campus school and a and a a parochial school. It was unreal, and I couldn't imagine doing it. Um, I did. Get freelance work for like New York Times, Scholastic. I even did some things that under a pseudonym for men's magazines, advertising. I do it, did some books. The check was always in the mail, but the bills were there constantly. Mm-hmm. And so, I the freelance life wasn't for me because I don't have the whatever it is you know, the basic income behind me, the trust fund, whatever is needed, or maybe. Enough, enough drive though. But I was knocking on doors. But it was in 1978. I received a grant using my portfolio of Long Island pictures to CETA, which is which was the Comprehensive Employment Training Act. And they were just like right now. There's new grants that come out for art, artists to do projects. It was it was like the WPA of the 70s and I was hired by the American Jewish Congress to create a photo archive of Jewish New York. I was one of three photographers, and my personal project was to research my family roots and my own families as a a Jewish family diaspora Mm -hmm. from from Europe here and meet people. And so that was really the only time I ever really made a full-time living as a photographer. And I didn't even want to. I wanted to do illustration. I could draw very realistically, and I, and I knew my photographs that I saw funny. <laughs> <laughs> it's like they, no matter what I did, it, it came out funny, look funny. And in as many as time over the years I've taken lighting classes and tried to do things slick. It's like I, I like the way my work looks the way it does. It just never felt natural to me, mm-hmm. so I didn't feel like a commercial photography was for me. And so I was doing the illustration. One when I got my CETA grant which was ritual meant I got like, oh, a salary of ten thousand a year, I was like, Oh, I can buy a bed you know, and instead of slipping on the floor. My dad said that's very nice, you got a grant, but when are you gonna get a when are you gonna get a real job? And so for CETA, you could you did, did community service and you could choose what your community service was and I chose my community service to be teaching. I taught kids, photography to children in the after school program and then homebound handicapped people. I wanted to increase my confidence as a teacher mm-hmm. and also make a portfolio of what I did. And when CETA ended, I I wanted steady income. I, I liked having a steady paycheck. I mean, just... But I wanted, that's who I am so I got a job using my portfolio from teaching there and I got a four day a week job teaching photography for a program called Learn- Learning to Read Through the Arts
0: mm-hmm.
1: now of course in this whole time I'm also just a young person going out and, and so when I went out at night I carried my camera most of the time not all the time there are some clubs I went to like you know, Mud Club or some others that are, well, Palladium, uh, the, the clubs that I, I actually didn't bring my camera. Silly me, I would have had those as well. But most of, many of times I carried my camera as well as da- while I was dancing.
0: Did you always feel comfortable shooting people? When I look at your photos, I just feel like such confidence in you sort of going up to strangers. Did you always feel that comfortable?
1: But how I feel comfortable is that I asked permission. Mm-hmm. 99.9% of the time, then and now, I've asked. And I usually tell the person why I'm interested in photography. I'm like, your outfit's amazing, and I, and I also, unconsciously, consciously, unconsciously, I think I choose people in in a very positive frame of the, their moment of life. Mm-hmm. That I that if I don't have, don't don't tell them themselves, they they kind of glow with it. And so many times, people say yes, and if they don't, it's no big deal to me. You know, it's like it's only a picture. So there's a confidence between us as well.
0: Oh, I've so known street photographers and I've, you know, know the work of other street photographers who do sort of take things surreptitiously, you know, which is a very different approach, right? Yes,
1: yeah, street, there's a lot of arguments about street photography. <laughs> and some people don't even think it is, if it's not, um, what is that word? Surreptitious. Okay, then I'm not a street photographer. Mm-hmm. No, didn't. like I said, I usually ask if either verbally or with a eye contact or a gesture I'm asking permission. I've always felt more comfortable that way, mm-hmm. and so I think that that shows in the picture. Yeah, consensual photography, <laughs> <laughs> and even in the in the dance photographs, there's a knowledge of they're being photographed.
0: Did you always prefer shooting people?
1: Do I for shooting people? Being,
0: people to like you, uh, objects? Uh, or yeah, uh, yes, I.
1: They're fascinating. People yeah. are fascinating, but I do consider the landscape an environment. Or or the home, it's a setting. Like a, yeah. I also went to a lot of growing up live theater. Mm-hmm. I, I, I love live live theater and coming to see Broadway shows and Off Broadway. So it's especially the they are very theatrical. Would yeah. you say? And I look at the landscape. It's very I mean, it's very important. The typography, what's going on. It's important. There are some in some of the Bushwick work. And sometimes the things that I haven't had shown yet, it is straight landscape. But not straight lines. type. There's a juxtaposition going on, or there's typography. There's something amazing. Mm-hmm. And in the Bushwick photographs, the buildings where the light was beautiful. Or literally just one picture of it in the new book of a tree in a field. There's no people that have said, Ansel Adams would have taken that picture. So I, I ran out on my lunch hour, signed out of the building, and took the little picture of my camera. Or I was witnessing change.
0: Mm-hmm. And I knew it. Yeah, so when you started actually teaching, what, in 1980? I started teaching
1: in 1979.
0: Did you feel comfortable by then?
1: Did I feel comfortable?
0: Yeah, you were saying you were nervous about teaching.
1: Oh, yeah, I was, well, it was never easy. <laughs> Anyone who says it's easy, is not easy. Classroom management was never my forte. And it was very hard and very challenging, and I cried a lot for, for several years. And then it becomes more natural. Even my a thir- full thirty one years classroom management was not my forte, but I actually got one national teaching award so like it's a the dichotomy so i found I found my way, and I also colleagues teach you how to control mm-hmm. they teach you how to manage your classrooms you learn from them but i am not one of those people who have a natural gift for it, but I do have a talent and i and i also could teach the kids, children in general have a respect for art, and when they could see I could teach them calligraphy, the I could teach them how to draw faces realistically, perspective, and that I respected their artwork mm-hmm. as well, it became a sweeter spot. And and I also started doing collaborative projects with my students and socially motivated projects. I found, and that's actually why I said that after I Retired, I almost say graduated, retired from teaching full-time in 2010 for five years, almost five years afterwards. I s- supervised future art teachers at NYU because even though, like I said, I, I won ma- I won many, many teaching awards. And then I figured out how to make it work. I figured, I'm fixing my hearing aids. I figured out how to, that I as this person who had trouble getting Classroom management, yes, the word for uh, But I found a way to make it work for me. I found like a way to make my career something that was interesting to me and to the students. How to collaborate with other educators, how to get my students' work off the bulletin board. Actually, my students' work was exhibited at the New Museum, at the DOR Foundation, and the Whitney Biennial. It's like you take your passion and you put it in your job. And I wanted to keep the job so that I could be here now and focusing on my artwork.
0: Were you always in the public school system?
1: i taught in the public school system yeah. the whole time. And Except for when I supervise our teachers for NYU, some of them more in private schools.
0: Um, and So I know you were in Bushwick and then you went to Manhattan?
1: Or okay, Okay. my first year in 79, um, I taught at a school on PS9 on... Columbus Avenue. Okay. That was one year, learned, learning to read the arts. I was so bad that I used a whistle to try to get control. The teacher below me would come up to say, it made too much noise. And later on, we were, like, we were in the same program of award-winning teachers. So like, I had to learn how to do this. And the second year through learning to read the arts, and that was a considered a per diem job, meaning you worked four days a week, you had no health care you had no sick days, you weren't building towards a future, you know, it was you paid for when you were. So I was on a list to get a full-time job appointed, appointed job. And so the second year I was in the Lower East Side of the school, and then the third year to learn to read the arts, and they were both photography programs, reading photography Mm -hmm. with, with the arts. And the third year started off at East New York, but mm-hmm. you would think was a dicey neighborhood. When I got the letter to be appointed at IS two ninety one to go for an interview at IS two ninety one in the Bushwick section of Brooklyn, Bushwick was considered much scarier. <laughs> it, would, uh, it would seem like more to be cautious about than mm-hmm. going to East New York. And so I started. And so I accepted, went for an interview, and accepted the job at IS two ninety one in Bushwick because I wanted a. I wanted a job with benefits and security and a chance to for those things. Yeah. I'm very middle class. So even I photograph all these wild things this night, I really always wanted needed.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: There's all different kinds of people. I'm one of those people.
0: I've talked to a lot of people who have chosen the other route, and it's not always been... Thanks. I don't think they've always felt so comfortable looking back at how you know,
1: you know insecure there's voice. all kinds of routes and yeah. some people have the guts to do it, do it. I didn't yeah. and so be it
0: but you kept photographing the whole time what, did right. you have a purpose right. or just felt compelled
1: I mean, my, my photography yeah I, I've ne- throughout my entire career since coming here I've always exhibited work yeah. I've always been involved in artist groups Showing photography or mixed-media photography a lot, mm-hmm. getting grants, things like that, know about showing my work, it always. I have a funny career, it's going, you know, with highlights and backstories and things like that, but it continued. So I never stopped doing that. It was only when I retired that I could have focused full, full on it, or that I realized the strength of the, the quote, straight images, mm-hmm. that, there was, that they were art unto themselves.
0: So what was the what were you like what kind of work were you showing and doing mixed media well, work? Was it different okay. than the documentary work that okay. I've seen?
1: Well, when I was okay, I, I, I continued documenting mm-hmm. my surroundings and where I walked. I never stopped because it was my my passion, mm-hmm. just like you like to write, you know, you're interested in you take your passion. If you like to cook, you don't have to be a chef to like to cook, you know? Yeah. Or, or be a professional food taster to like to eat, so that never stopped. It was my habit. You know, no, it's something I I love. Yeah. And I would let's say I, I said for a while I was printing some of my work as sepia I and really I couldn't afford to do it. So I started painting on those sepia using my illustrative skills to show the intention behind the photographs. And building frames, environmental frames to go with it. I received a New York Foundation for the Arts fellowship for that. When digital, when digital imaging came about, I was actually one of the first artists invited by Adobe, the new Adobe Photoshop, mm-hmm. to be trained on it because they saw my painted photographs, and I, and I was introduced to working with Macintosh, Apple computers, Macintosh, and Photoshop, and then, and then I started doing a series of photographing, underwater photographs in which I paint. paint, No, before that I was doing underwater photography because my mom moved to Florida and I was painting surrealistically on that. When I was introduced, when I learned Photoshop or that became really like Photoshop's first incarnation, it's like, okay, this is a new interest. And I did a series of Brand, where I photographed Grand Central Terminal, and I juxtaposed like it was sunken underwater, mm. and that work was was exhibited in Grand Central Terminal for over a year, and also the the poster you see outside where I did a poster of, okay. and I did another series I'm called them Submer- Submersions, of uh, New York Public Library is similar, and then I was like. And then I had a, another piece of that, a, a large, where I made a large, like a 10-foot tall facade of the library with, with tr- swimming turtle image and mixed media. And that was in the Brooklyn Museum, their first digital imaging show. And then it was like enough for the water. 12 years, it was enough. And then it became the journey that I, I was. somebody was interested in my bushwick photographs. And that journey continued and mm-hmm. has kept me occupied. for since two thousand and
0: seven, how did it feel to start first, like to start going back over all of the, you know, all of these different groups of work that well, you are doing in your it's book? it's very
1: exciting, and it's also not going back over. It's almost looking for the first time for most of it. Mm-hmm. I mean, now I'm starting because I've done the third book, and I'm like actually peeking through the negatives. But many of the boxes, I'm just opening them up for the first time, or the, or the negative sleeves. I'm looking up at them and seeing them like with fresh eyes for the first mm-hmm. time. So that's, it's almost like when you, you had the story of Vivian Meyer's work being discovered, mm-hmm. I related very deeply to it. Even though I was already immersed in digging through my stuff. It's like, okay, she's a nanny like a, a teacher, you know, like, yes, I showed my work. I do have an education in photography, but I didn't really show this work and I didn't understand it. And I also understood about someone photographing for the pure passion of it because that's what my grandfather did, mm-hmm. right? And my dad did it just for our family album. I feel really privileged and lucky that so many strange doors have opened up to make... To and, and I've also pushed doors as well. But I've, in some ways, I've had to, like, sit beside myself and, like, pretend I'm... Like I'm the teacher and I'm treating, or I'm not just a curator. Like what would I do if it was a student? I would encourage them.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I would tell them this is great. Um, I'm I'm as sippy sorry myself, and I try to look at it more objectively.
0: Have you done this? Have you ever done the same thing, looking for your father's negatives? Like,
1: thank you for asking. I just actually because uh, I had get, uh, to get to show it light work and give a presentation, and I. I wanted to show more of his work, mm-hmm. and I' scanned some of his early street photographs. I am my daddy's daughter he has the same quirky eye. he photographed really unusual photographs it is is terrific
0: that would be wonderful to see like a book or something of both of your um, or show yeah. of your both of your that work be,
1: that would be perfect. I mean it's
0: too bad that you don't have your uncles and your grandfather's, yeah. but no, to have no. that sort of family lineage of it I would n-
1: I sure hope to be able to do that.
0: I mean, when you look back over everything, what are you most proud of?
1: Oh, uh, I am, this is a funny question, because this is also, I'm very proud of the books. You know, I really, because there were a lot of thinking and focusing. I am proud, because we're, this is a time of life where we're exiting, we're coming out of a pandemic, and you're really Think about health and well-being Mm -hmm. a lot and and I feel it is my major focus and I'm proud that as a young adult when I was having emotional difficulties that I sought out counseling Mm -hmm. and stuck with it I'm proud that if for myself I'm I'm proud of the younger person I am like people say how would you talk back that you knew Meryl for yourself you needed stability it doesn't matter what other people did Mm -hmm. that you did it and you found it i'm proud that i found a way to make my teaching profession work for me and also work for the kids whether it works for both of them that is creative and had some amazing highlights. You know, I told you I was one of three teachers selected by Disney nationwide for the American Teacher Award. I'm proud that I was open minded to showing and collaborating with unusual people. It opened, you know, that the opportunities come in many, many forms. And that I didn't give up even when this, the career is up and down and up and down and up and down that I I didn't give up and nor did I throw my work away <laughs> yeah <laughs> which would have been very very easy to do you never know, like I could have just thrown it in the garbage and 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 I didn't I'm very proud to be exhibiting and honored to with Brian Clamp Gallery you know it really is an, an honor I am proud that I focus on health and well-being and relationships first, and art as second. Because mm. I don't think I would be alive.
0: Yeah, well, that's the most important thing.
1: And that's my advice for anyone else: Yeah, you know, do do what do what's right for you, mm-hmm. and and you want to be here for the long term. And I'm proud that I trusted my own quirky vision, even when nobody else noticed it or, or said, "Well, they can't make it." You can't be somebody else you can't you actually can't see another way so you can say you can open your mind you can change somewhat but you don't change that much as a person yeah. yes you can change I've gotten better at things I've more of uh, accepting of of the things I haven't accomplished you know my I don't have a MacArthur I didn't never got any age I haven't gotten a good job. you can go through all that I'm, I'm so I'm proud that I'm continuing to grow and try to evolve as a human being,
0: and be a be a better person. Yeah, I mean that's really what the, the most that we can do, I guess, in a way is like like trying to be the best person that we can be is really the most it's, it's, the most important
1: thing. Yeah, no, or, or or open to change and yeah. to continue learning.
0: Mm-hmm. I'm proud
1: that I continue to learn. When I felt stuck, I'd take a class or a workshop or connected with. Other artists, finding positive community.
0: Yeah, I mean, it so sounds like, you know, because I really only knew the the documentary work, but mm-hmm. it seems like you have done like push yourself in all these different directions mm-hmm. with the the digital art and also the multimedia. You were constantly sort of evolving and trying things.
1: Mm-hmm. And so, you know, hopefully live longer, much longer. I hope to. Yeah, hope to. <laughs> <laughs> and and there's a lot of a lot to a lot to do, but. Focusing on one thing at a time is helpful or a goal.
0: (laughs) Yeah. So I was wondering kind of how, when you were still working as a teacher, how you balanced teaching your photography work that you were showing and doing and also a personal life. Well, I
1: kind of integrated it in that when I was teaching my first few years, I was actually teaching photography to kids to just learn to read the art program. And then as a regular art teacher, and then I had another art photography program at IS 291. And then my last part of my career, the last 15 years, I was a digital art teacher. So I was in my day, I was kind of keeping my passion part of it and doing it. But how did it affect me? Well, you know, of course, I did carry a camera and bring things along. How it affected me was I was no longer had time to work in the darkroom, develop film. Yeah, I did. So I, I, I reverted. I, I started using slide film. And I spent most of my time, you know, planning for teaching and <laughs> working most of the time. But I guess I, I photographed time to time during the day and night and, and things. And now when I run into students that I've known who are adults, they go, oh yeah, you always had a camera. It's like, I guess I I did. I did it, but I did it more selectively because you can't sit and just take pictures when you're trying to keep a classroom going. My art career, I always tried to keep it going. You know, and I wasn't exhibiting straight photographs as much as um, mixed media, Mm -hmm. but I was... I didn't want to stop doing that. And then I might as well just jump out the window. I stayed active. I think something that helped was being involved with a community of other artists. I was a member of a a group, and I still am, I've been on something called professional women photographers. So you meet once a month and be inspired by other people and sometimes have shows together. I think it kept me from quitting, you know, being part of a, a community and that you're not the only person who has this, Strong interests, and I was always applying to things. <laughs> I also um, took my skills of writing grants and getting, you know, rejected for, as an artist to writing them as a teacher. And I would get like money to do very interesting projects with my students. There's a word for it. Not a ghost artist is a there's a word when people make fun of teachers that they're Oh, it's, um, I'm not sure what the word is but I, I want to say a ghost art where you're doing you're doing another career when you really want to be doing just art but I needed to have a steady career I needed income I need to have the feeling of making a living yeah with a steady paycheck I
0: guess I'd been sort of wondering because we were talking about your multimedia work and you know the, the really and it sounded like those the artworks, the, the sort of under this, underwater images and everything, sounded like they must've taken a lot of time to do in early Photoshop and everything. They sounded-
1: oh, Absolutely, there was one in, after I had this show at Grand Central, I was a semi-finalist to do a to do a transit station exhibit, you know, with, with an exhibit and I made it up to the end. And I just like, you know, it's like, I was like not sleeping, working on the proposal or barely. And that was one of the only times I meant when I didn't make, I was like, maybe down to the last three and I didn't get picked. I just got on the floor and I cried, you know, like if I didn't have to work all the time, I could just pull off. Like maybe I could have pulled it together, but I, whatever it was, or maybe it wouldn't have been, but it was, it was definitely harder than being a time artist you know doing that and keeping it going but i did keep it going so bravo you know yeah. and 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 also i kind of pushed my ambition
0: mm-hmm. into
1: the work i would do with students like i don't know if i mentioned it, like the collaborative work i did with students ended up in the d art foundation and with the biennial and, and you know in the new museum so i also the, the museum of science and in Queens, and like, like, that's amazing that energy. And, I, and I, I pulled it in there. And at one point in the midst of all that well, I was getting like this you know, big teaching awards. So I also got a New York foundation for the arts grant for my own work. And I remember one of the, a few months later, one of the judges called me, like, want to know, you know, your work was so different. And, and you know, selling his work, you a gallery. And I said, well, I said, I'm kind of like focusing on my teaching. No, no, because it was a conflict back and forth. But I try to blend the two as well as I can, or how one thing inspire the other. And I also being involved with other art teachers who were interested in like in social justice and exhibiting their kids' work beyond the bulletin board. That you know, all that helped even now i i i wonder how i did it you know i do i wonder it's like even now just being a, a full-time artist you know there's so much to take care of there's so much to do to, and, and and you miss things and in some ways when i first retired i said it was almost easy in some way because i knew where i was from eight to three building you know, like every day like i just knew it. or eight to four or eight to five on a certain day though i knew exactly where i was not, ha- not having a schedule was an adjustment to.
0: But I mean, I'm sure that it sounds like you must have been incredibly inspiring to the students, like to have a teacher who was like collaborative in that way and so passionate. I'm sure that they were so inspired that then you could feed off of their excitement, you know, that that would. Well, I would, I,
1: thank you. I wouldn't, I wouldn't say, even though, like I say, I, I, received many teaching awards and a lot of satisfaction it was always a challenge and i was never a natural at classroom management never in, you know it, it, it was not my strength so I used my strength which was art and photography to get the kids into at least Doing projects that they found were interesting and that they remember now. <laughs> you know, like they'll say, Oh, I remember when we did this. I don't think my my classroom was never the quietest. How's <laughs> that? I, I always struggled
0: at it. At least in my experience, the ones that I remember were the ones where we had fun and it was loud and that, you know, not necessarily the mm-hmm. quietest. You said you you taught digital art. Was that like photo early Photoshop? Yes.
1: And yes. And um, when I took my sabbatical, okay, 1992, I was invited by one by an upstart Adobe and this place called Center Creative Imaging. And I was one of the first artists to learn Photoshop. They'd seen my hand painting on photography. And I was among the first people to be trained to use this. And I wanted to use this media with my students and artwork. And and also when you do something, you know, for 15 years, you need to switch it up a little bit, right? So I taught at Intermediate School 291 from 1980 until June, 1992, when I, went, when I like I said, I was one of three teachers for this big Disney American Teacher Award and the superintendent was trying to get, of me to, go over to a new alternative school they were starting and my only condition i, I didn't want it, it just wanted me to switch in the middle of the year it's like no i'm in a big really big important project <laughs> like i wouldn't never do that to students or the project that i started but it would be like the next year and it was with the, with the understanding that i would end up having a computer computer lab for doing art that didn't happen that didn't happen so on sabbatical on sabbatical I went looking for another school that would let me do that. And so I, I moved to the school called the Institute for Collaborative Education, which is the old Stuyvesant High School building. And I had a Macintosh computer lab and that was my art program, you know, until every, and I was there for the, for the rest of my career. So for 15 years.
0: Do you still have an interest in doing that kind of digital multimedia art or are you? Personally. I'm not, you know, I'm not a really a high tech person.
1: I'm back to, to working in the darkroom. Yeah. You know, so I, I switch things up. How's that? I switch things up. <laughs> and I and I like film. You know, it's like I like it.
0: Yeah, that's so. actually gonna be my next question. How do you feel about digital versus film within a camera?
1: I am more excited using my my going back and using my analog film camera. I mean, I was carrying, because I went to the dentist, I carried a little uh, point and shoot digital. It, it does, it's not the, not the same to me. I'm excited. I, I mean, I, I'm printing. I, I mean, I, that was my pandemic project. I built a dark room, I'm printing back. I feel, uh, I'm excited about it. Doesn't mean that I couldn't get excited about something else as well. I think if I had a, a, a medium format digital camera, I might like it more. I have trouble focusing, I, mean, I don't know, it's, a, it's okay. They're fine, you know, but, but I'm more excited about it. I personally think that my darkroom prints are just much more beautiful than even, even though, like, I mean, I have a show now, it is a mix of digital prints made from scans mm-hmm. output under the glass. They might look the same. Take off the glass to me, it's like rhinestones, diamonds, mm-hmm. satin, polyester. It's not the same to me. I, I'm not criticizing criti- criti- anyone else, but I, I see a, a difference. Just a, a feel, see it is it a richness that isn't there. I'm I'm excited to develop film. <laughs> you know, it's like so. Yeah, but that's maybe I'll Anthony that in five years, maybe will different. If, maybe if um, somebody gifted me a medium format digital camera, I would feel different. Mm-hmm but they'd have to gift it to me. I'm excited about going back to mm-hmm. using film.
0: And the film you're shooting now, are you shooting 35? Are you shooting medium format?
1: M- with film medium format, I'm, ba- I'm back to using the camera, like the camera was the same kind of camera I was using back in the seventies. And I have a duplicate in case it dies. Which one? It's a an, Norita an Graflex, okay. two and a quarter single lunch reflex. And there's a, I had been out of commission for a long time. No one could fix it. And I found someone like two blocks from here and was able to fix it. And they moved to Florida and said they could ship it to them. I, you know, I to, when I look through it, I know what I only get when I come out of it. It's heavier than I remember it. You know, I used to carry it out more and I like I feel it more. But it's, I, I have a Pentax 6x7, and that's much heavier. But I'm like, I'm going to the beach on Thursday. I used to bring it to the beach. But I'm not going to bring it to the beach. It's like, no, I, I don't don't want to ruin the camera. And, you know, I don't want to have an accident. So I want to bring it, but I'm not going to bring it. Because it would just really, really upset me. Something. Happens. Maybe I will bring it. um You know, <laughs> but I like to have some kind of camera with me because I see things
0: mm-hmm.
1: all the time.
0: And what and film are you shooting with now?
1: Trix. Ex- 400 120 kodak and then i have my own darkroom i'm using the same paper i used back then ilford mm-hmm. but instead of a graded two or three i use multi-grade with the filters i, t- I went back into courses like i said mentioned fit so i learned split toning you know i i was like getting things wrong making rigging like, spots on things i've got the what wash bath so I like, got Angela Adams' books, and I, I read up, what can I say, I, what exciting, I have this big 10-foot sexy sink, sink in my basement, you know? <laughs> it's
0: like Hearing you talk about it's making me like, oh, oh my God, I want to get back to that, I haven't done yeah, it. Yeah.
1: But uh, I don't, I'm not going into and saying, oh, let me just print, print, print. i print if for something if, if for a show, or, or thus far, or if my gallery makes a sale, it's like, oh. <laughs> But I do have a lot of films to develop. But maybe I will go and just do it just for the fun of it. Who knows? I haven't, I haven't had the time. to. I mean, it was just came through. I just had a print picture show. And now I'm like working in the book. You know, like you have to work it.
0: Yeah, I mean, you just had three shows, right? Mm-hmm. And, and now the book. Yes. Yeah, that's a lot. Yeah. How does it feel to have you know, so much attention um, coming to your work and so much work now.
1: It feels good. I'm surprised when people say something that like, oh, those wonderful things happen. Cause I could, it's like, oh, really? Yeah. I felt like I was like in a, like in a, you know, like everyone else in a cave for a year. I'm delighted, I'm delighted, you know? And I'm gonna have some more shows coming up. I'm gonna have a, have an installation in, photoville
0: oh amazing
1: but it's going to be my bushwick photographs of the 80s stalled like 20 of them gigantic hundreds of feet on this schoolyard fence the school i taught wow i know it gives me chills to think about it like that's that's like a dream come true
0: when does that happen again when is that happening
1: it's gonna go uh, it's it's gonna open the week of the september 17th Great, and so people should go up to studios. and I'm having a duo show with someone else, and then they'll go up and they'll stay up at least through December. Wow, very. And the curate and the principal of the, of the school is a curator, and and supposedly in October, November, I'm having my first solo show in Berlin. But you know, let us stay open. I'm pleased. You good know, I can always like. Compare myself to others and say, "Oh, but, 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 but I'm happy for what it, what it, is, for what it is.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Very happy, and and, and lo- I feel fortunate and inspiring. And I also, you know, also, you know, there's like, hey, there's 24 rolls of film. There's new work in there that I haven't opened. You know, that, that I developed, you know, there still is new work, and I want to make new work, but it takes a lot of focus to go through." What there already is,
0: yeah,
1: and and put it in a format that makes sense.
0: Yeah, you said you'd been going back over the negatives and finding things that you'd never seen, never printed before, and
1: you know. yeah, well, most of them was never printed before. Yeah. I never even noticed them before, or understood them, or scanned them. I like even you know even looking, for, really just looking at them for like, well now because I had to go through them for several shows, seeing them anew. Although sometimes finding a, a new box with something labeled like, like, oh, look, let's look at this box. So, so There's a lot to go through. That's it's better than emptying out boxes of stuff. No, no I'm delighted. I feel very fortunate and, and glad that people react to it and, and it makes people laugh or it makes people smile or it makes people wonder or, right, no, come on, anyone's, any... Everywhere, anyway if you say or write or do anything, you're happy to have anyone notice that.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So I'll take it. I'm not, I say, thank you. But I'm surprised that people say that to me. But then again, I'm the one who said trifecta. So like, I'm like, it's like yeah, that's the that's first three you three at once.
0: I mean, you know, I guess you've been sort of doing the work continuously this whole time. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I think you're in it. So, to other people, they're looking and they're seeing sudden splo- explosion of activity, mm-hmm. you know? Whereas, like, you've actually been. I've actually been working. Been, you've been, been, the working one on been doing you. it all and making sure that it all comes to. to yeah, it, didn't, it didn't come out of, out
1: of a vacuum. It would it, it existed. It just hadn't been curated mm-hmm. by me. It hasn't been created, it hadn't been edited, it hadn't been put into context.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And and I didn't appreciate it as as just pure photography, just a straight, a straight image as being just beautiful in art. I felt like there had to be something else going on, you know, sculpture or painting on it, you know, mixed media.
0: You when you were talking about Photoville, you briefly mentioned Bushwick open um, studios. And when we were leaving your apartment and still recording a little bit, um, when I saw you in June, you said to me, Bushwick saved me. And I was just oh, wondering if you could expound a bit on that. And like, when did you start printing there and become part okay. of the art scene there?
1: Well, okay. Well, I first started looking at my Bushwick work. It was in 2007. I received an email from a teacher named Adam Schwartz, who was a ESL, English as a second language teacher at IS-111, which is down the block from where I taught. And he basically wrote that he's, you know, ESL teacher, he's a strong interest in history. Um, He is interested, he, his, one of his teaching colleagues is this guy, John Napolillo, Mr. Napolillo, who I taught with Mr. and Mrs. Napolillo at 291. And he always liked to hear stories about John telling about what, you know, like what Bushwick was like back in the 70s and 80s. Like, if thought it was hard now, it's like, you have no idea what it was like. And so he Adam had the idea of applying um, to the Brooklyn Historical Society, he had a community exhibition space where people could apply I think it's both community perspectives. And he came up with the, the idea of doing something, something called that Up From Flames, Treat you know, tracking, Bushwick's rise from 1977 to 2007 how it came up literally from flames like a phoenix and um he was looking for photographs to like submit to a proposal and the only work he could really find was photographs by the you know, fire department the news of of the riots and of the fires and looting and, and nothing you know in between it was it was like very little and john said Contact Moira. She was always taking pictures, and so I got this email from this guy. And I said, "Well," and I was still teaching at the time, so it was three years before I'm retiring. so I'm like a little like chopping at the bit for three years. away. and and I emailed, and I said, "Well, yeah, I have a lot of boxes. know, so I, I did take pictures. I they're in my basement. I I know I have them and marked in little things. They might say 291 or Bushwick on them, and I'll get some out." And you know, he came over and we looked through some boxes, picked some out to scan. I went across the street to FIT and enrolled in a class to you know, scan them. And submitted for the proposal and they accepted it for the show. And so that's when I first started looking through the, the pictures, scanning them. I didn't know, I wasn't printing yet them even you know, on the computer. Have, I had FIT print them for the show and you know, they were interesting and people liked them, but I realized it, it wasn't my aesthetic. Somehow, like when you when the image is printed, you kind of like know how you see. And even though it looked okay, it wasn't, wasn't me. And so not only did I want to look, and I also realized there's something special about these photographs. At that time, the Bushwick art scene wasn't that flaming hot yet. It was just, I mean, I it was even interesting. Even that year, he said, a, they're having a Bushwick Open studio. You can put your work in a coffee shop. And I'm like, oh, okay. Someone even bought it, a picture. It's, I thought, oh, it's in a suite. <laughs> After the show came down, I just kept on going through those boxes and finding other gems, literally. And like realizing that didn't matter that they were taking a point and shoot or that the, that the slides were on a, in a, in a, cabinet in my basement next to a damp wall. And some of them even had, besides dust, had green mold spots on them. That's where my Photoshop came through, got the mold or, and I knew there were beautiful images of human beings. I just thought they would be, and I just kept on working. I stopped, I was tired of my Underwater series. I was like, I was obsessed with looking through the, these boxes that said Bushwick or Palmetto Street or whatever it said, 291 and kept on, and I also bought a printer, you know, archival printer, because I want to learn how to print them myself. And that was a learning process. And, and cold turkey, I pulled up the curator at the Museum of City in New York, and he was interested in seeing them. And he thought, you looked at me and he said, oh, you know, if you have more, I'd love to see in the future. It's like, so it kept me busy, <laughs> you know, like I was like on a mission. I didn't know what the mission was, but I was on a mission. And then when I retired, I was still on that. Some, um, someone I knew through, this, through the Women Photographers group was active in Soho Photo Gallery. And she wanted to have a, I'm not a member of the co-op gallery, but they have a guest spot. And she wanted to sponsor me to, to consider showing a portfolio to have an exhibit there. And she, her name is Marilyn Fish, Glenn. So she liked my pictures underwater with the fishes. I said, I said I'm really done with that. I'm tired of it, this, this, this is what I'm working on. I love, I wanna show this bush work. I keep on printing much. And I showed it to someone, She's like, well, I don't know if they're gonna like it. I said, well, this is what I wanna apply And they accepted it. And I treated it like it was a museum show. And I reached out to, I said, oh, look, there's a, a, a blog. Bushwick Daily, invite them to come. You know, I, I reached out and it's like, oh, look, there's a Bushwick community darkroom. How about that? You know, and people came from Bushwick to look at it, which was interesting because I really wanted it to be seen. Because even when it was the Brooklyn Historical Society, not many people from Bushwick themselves came there to show. And so when I started, I, I printed this work and I showed it. And I was like, then somebody contacted me, uh, an artist from Bushwick, Someone named Deborah Brown, a person who was an organ, uh, who is a well-known artist who was active in the Bushwick arts community. But she was having open studios, and I went to the open studios and said, "This is fantastic! I want to be in the Bushwick open studios." I'm gonna just someone who knew me through this network, who started to know me through like I guess social media. My Bushwick work sent her building owners to see my show and so Photo was closed. They showed up when it was supposed to be open. Well, these are the people, there's a building in in, in Bushwick 56 Bogart, which was, which was like most of the art galleries. This couple bought it. They, they, they turned it into studios. And so I, I said, I, you know, I wanna make it up to them. I will come to them and show them my work. And then I started meeting people in the Bushwick community and it was really at a, at like a, at a height of it and so the interest of art the artists in my, in my work and seeing it is important a curator who wrote the introduction to a new book James Pinero it was, it was covering the new book which we've seen like he was starting to write about it that people were interested and it was encouraging and i just so it, yes and the fact that the oldest attention was coming in as rising art scene and i started showing with them that did save my save my career. I mean, I had a show at um, a new gallery called the Living Gallery, and I mean, Holland Carter, the New York Times, could showed up and wrote about my piece. You know, the show that I have with this woman, Vanessa Martier. So awesome. it really it did it the bu- extended Bushwick arts community. Saved, saved me from oblivion. Of course, that my publisher ended up being, you know, like I said bizarre, it's like you know, Bushwick Drug House. You know, it, it's it's so I've never lived in Bushwick, but I spent almost 14 years of my life w- working there and has given me, and it's taken well, another 14 years since I left to, to figure out what this is. I feel like I've gone through the mother vein with this book. You know, this is, and I'll, I me mean, I'm sure I'll all of a sudden come across a box somewhere of, of slides and like, <laughs> that was it. But but, but the, the majority of it, this is it. I feel I uncovered and polished to gems and they then they're out in the world and so having it come back 40 years later to the fence is like you know literally a picture of kids playing in the playground installed at that playground you know it's going to be very exciting
0: such a wonderful sort of full circle moment yes what's next i mean other than that like photo the photoville and maybe berlin what do you
1: well supposedly there is like there's a you know you never know because things fall apart all the time but there's a publishing called iShot and They just do street photography books, and we're supposed. Yeah, we could fall through. Doing a a book a, a book of my street photos from 1973 to 2021. They have it, and they're curating and editing. And so I haven't heard that. I'll be working on that. I want to do a series of self-portrait. I'm having a having a mile marker birthday. You know, I'm turning seventy. That's pretty and so i want to redo some of my early self-portraits and make new ones uh, i want to i just want to keep going i don't know what i don't know what it is but i just want to keep going and trusting my instincts and not stopping and sometimes i play with the idea of i talked about going and finding the people who were in my original photographs but do i really want to do that no i'm not sure there's a lot of paths to take. There are certain certain ones I would feel that we missed if I didn't do it. Like if someone's giving me an offer of doing another book, I'm doing the other book, you know, was like, come on, you know, and I have to work on getting this one out to the world. I guess a ball in motion stay in, stays in motion. I'm hoping this same good fortune continues to have opportunities to, to show. I want to travel more. No, like, you know, <laughs> And I didn't have a, some an unfinished painting that I want to finish. Can't do everything. I'm, I will be content to working on my straight, fo- quote, quote, straight photography. Photograph the things that interest you as you go along in your day-to-day life. And always work on your self-confidence to make, you know, not, so, not to focus on health and well-being. is no important.
0: By the way, it was really great looking through some of your father's photos, the Dropbox you sent.
1: I was, I was like, I was like, oh my gosh, look at these, things. They like, I see his, I see, I see myself in him.
0: Had you seen those growing up or did you discover them later?
1: Um, those, no, the, the ones, that the early ones, ones, no, they were, scrapbooks and i have them of like the family things but i don't really remember looking through his war pictures there must be an older scrapbook mm-hmm. he has his negatives i mean of his negatives and that's where it's like oh my god look at those like sitting there and he's like pretending to get shot in the head or people laying on i did see some of them but i didn't look through them seriously mm-hmm. i remember they were up in the closet and i would just look and his pick, the albums of he took a his children, they were they were good photographs. You know, he, he had a passion. But, yeah. but street photographs really surprised me.
0: Yeah, I mean, you could really see a sort of a continuation from him to you. And so I was just wondering if you'd seen them and as a child and that had influenced you or if it was sort of like an innate thing that it sort of- generated. I
1: think what was more influential was that I saw my father
0: mm-hmm.
1: and his father. They'd, something that they did was they took photographs.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: It's almost like saying my dad liked to sing and dance, which he did. It's like, you don't have to be professional to, to have joy in it. And so that was, and he was, when I was taking my f- photo cl- classes, I like, get you know, there's a picture of everybody, but I'm the first one at West family, and he's sitting there like smiling, like he was happy. He got it, you know, <laughs> he got it. And always came to my shows, both both my parents, even when they separated, they all, was as long as I as long as long I got a job and could make a living. Was, I could be an artist as long as I got a teaching job so I can always make a living. That was, that was the deal. Yes, I think just seeing someone who's something that they simply didn't actually, like food, like joy in cooking, they took joy in photography. And my, and my grandfather, I, maybe I saw one of his pictures. The whole time you know it really it was just something he did so uh, something i did and i'm glad i did, and i'm glad i do it does it does it does make me in tune with the universe
0: <laughs> well i think you're much more present because you're paying attention whereas a lot of people are sort of in their phones or sort of distracted all of the time and not paying attention when you're actually like photographing and taking pictures you really mm-hmm. Present in the moment.
1: Well, actually, at one point I stopped doing. Like I like to say, "Oh, Dan, I went to like other clubs. I went to the Mud Club. I went to this one. I went that." And why well, don't I don't have pictures of Palladium? It's like sometimes I start thinking, i start thinking, well, if I'm not with a camera, do am I? Who am I?" You know. Mm-hmm. So I would try both ways. But I think you're always looking, and I think that's important too. Always seeing things. So even it, the images you see that strike you, and you go. That would have been a great image. You, you still remember it, anywhere. It refines your, refines what you do. It's a, mis- it's, a mystery. <laughs> it's a mystery.
0: So I started sort of thinking about your uh, Long Island pictures, and I was wondering if you know just the way that the Bushwick pictures—that world doesn't exist—is the lot, Does that Long Island world exist in any way? <laughs> Absolutely, my, my um, I'm married to Patty O'Brien. Patty O'Brien grew up a
1: few blocks from me. Her sister lives in the house they grew up it's like I still go out to absolutely okay and then when I'm still friends with people I went to high school with you know like am I going into their house photographing no no but my in-laws yes Mm -hmm. yes family occasions I I bring my camera most of the time and have all along Mm -hmm. so it'll be interesting when I get up to those (laughs) I
0: can't wait
1: so Long Island is still part of my life because three of my in-laws live, live in Long Island and I see them.
0: <laughs> We're friends and family. You know? <laughs> I love those photos.
1: Thank you. I do too.
0: When and why did you get a place upstate like in Woodstock and and also sort of like what does the country provide you with that the city doesn't?
1: Moving to the city I mean I always thought of you know, like people who had a country house that was like very cool. My older brother, Ken and his wife, they got a house in Woodstock and right soon after they got married, 1976. My younger brother and his first wife bought a house in Woodstock a few years later. In 19, and we'd go up there. My mother and my parents, like I said, my parents divorced and remarried. My mother and her husband bought a country house up in Sullivan County. My father and his second wife, they got a you know, country house in Sullivan County near where my mother is. Growing up, we spent a, a summer in the Catskills, like the Borscht Belt. Patty and I were we lived in Park Slope, and we kept we were trying to buy a. We had like like the the last like the only apartment in on the block that didn't go co-op. You know, like you're there for like 15 years, everything's going co-op, and yours is not. And like, I would dream about having a house. I grew up in a house. Is that that was actually one of the dreams I would have. I didn't have dreams about not having children. I dreamed about not having to have a house. And we were trying to buy a, a house, preferably in Park Slope or nearby. And we kept on like finding things and bidding them and getting outbid and losing them and not having enough. Not and then we finally were like, one of the last things that we saw, like, okay, a, a duplex for sale. It was literally the apartment next to us building. And it was, we were going to pay so much more to live there. live in the basement and my older brother, Ken said, you know, he said, come up. He said, look what you can get for this price here. He said, you can keep your apartment, get a car and have a country house. And then we said, yeah, we could, (laughs) like we could do that. So we got a car, we stopped looking for a house in Brooklyn and we got a car in 1998 on Mother's Day and when ha- house hunting and, and um, when we, it's so a Woodstock felt, you know, my, my two brothers are there, right? Family, i am close to my family and but also there's an arts community it's also like, okay, even next town over there's Staples, so you know, like you get what you needed. And, and so, so we bought a house in 1998 and it is a d- dichotomy as you well know but it's a nice dichotomy. And obviously in my work, you see, I like dichotomies anyway, you know. But I think it's a, a luxury to have a city, a city place and a country place. If we had to choose, Patty would stay up there the whole time and I would have to be in the city. But we don't have to choose. No, of course, we don't travel as much. I like having, I like both.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. But anyway,
1: I feel charged in the city. I I'm actually one of those people who really love New York City. I get
0: it, and I think you get it in your photos too. Thank you. You. Thank you. Really love the city and the people in the city. Do you find it helps your work or your thinking at all to have the to go up there and just be sort of unplugged for a moment, or more unplugged? I guess everything
1: helps the thinking. When we lived in Brooklyn, we had a much bigger. I had we had a much lot more space than I have now. Mm-hmm. we were like we had a six-room apartment and then a separate one I used as my studio so I had a lot more space and moved to where I am now Penn South which is a very wonderful place it's a one-bed you know it's a one-bedroom apartment so this really is not my studio is the balcony you know but if you're a street photographer it's everywhere so all my stuff is up there you know um I, yeah we have a lot more room it's a lot it's nice I like walking around the block you know and like it's like I like it, I like going to barbecue. I, I like being in a, in a community that I could just stay in, but if I want to go outside, there, there's art and culture to do.
0: Mm-hmm. And,
1: and I have a lot of friends who also have moved up there full-time or have homes you know in their vicinity. So I haven't gone out seeking friends. It's healthy to be, see trees. You know, it's, it's, it's good too. It's good, good contrast. You know, I'm not someone who has a garden. Like, I'm lucky to I water the plants on my balcony. <laughs> like,
0: well, it sounds like you've got a lot that you're thinking about and doing. You know, you don't have to do everything. I, I'd like to, but I can't. Yeah. I thank you so much. Is there anything else that you would feel like you would like to say? Or
1: um, I want to say thank you.
0: Thanks again for listening to this conversation with Meryl Meisler. Please head to our new website to read a short article and to see a slideshow of images. See you next week!